Isaiah 46, verse 8. We're going to read verse 8 through verse 11. I guess verses 8 through 11. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken, and I will bring it to pass. I have purpose, and I will do it. Everything all right, sister? Good. I, I like to do a little, like an introductory line to all the sermons. Now, I'm, I may not do it for all of them, but I've done it for this series. I said, this sermon will help people understand how God orchestrates intersections to change their hearts and help them to faithfully live out their destinies. Remember last week, we talked about something as simple as a little coal fire, right? little coal fire. Uh, and we learned in the Word of God that Jesus had appeared to seven of the disciples just before he ascended to heaven, and they were out fishing, and Jesus said to them, have you caught anything? Now, instantly, the disciple that Jesus loved, John, and this is coming from the book of John, he told them, throw the net on the other side. John was the only one that leaned over and said to Peter, it's the Lord. He, he knew he had heard that before. Throw the net on the other side. Now, when he said that, it's the Lord, Peter dove in, grabbed his clothes, dove in, went swimming to shore, and all the rest of them gathered up the fish that they caught with the net, casting it on the other side of the boat. Now, the boat might not have been more than 12 to 15, 16 feet wide, but just that distance meant everything. Just the obedience to that distance meant the difference between fishing all night long and catching nothing and then loading up the net because they obeyed Christ. And we learn that Peter swims ashore, finds Jesus cooking breakfast for them over a coal fire. And it was a simple matter, really. When you look back on the night that Peter betrayed Jesus, he was warming his hands over a charcoal fire that the soldiers had built or put together, and then he denied Christ three times. So it's only fitting that you fast forward. Jesus was there to deal with Peter. Peter was at a crossroads, right? Now, what was my proof, if you remember, refreshing ourselves from a, a, a week ago? He said to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Isn't that between the coal fire and the question, Peter, do you love me, three times, three different ways, right? Take him all the way back to the point where he was at a crossroads and he denied Christ. Jesus took him back there and he fixed it. Jesus did not leave Peter, I, I, for lack of a better word, unfixed. He didn't leave him broken. Amen? So we're going to look at two people's lives today, maybe more, I don't know, whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do. Amen? 
You know, I want to show you the crossroads for one man's life. We're going to look at it, and we're going to see what God used that crossroads to do. And then we're going to look at another person that you may relate to better. All right? Okay, first of all, the Israelites at one time languished in captivity. Matter of fact, more than once. Can you say amen? The Babylonians had invaded Judah. They'd sacked Jerusalem. They'd taken most of the inhabitants back to their own country. But as most of the Israelites fled their homes with little hope of returning, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, commanded his officials, find the best, find the brightest Israelite men to come serve in my royal court, if he only knew <laughs> what he was setting into motion. These men who worshipped Yahweh would be forced to study the philosophy and religion of the Babylonians to worship their false gods. But one of the bright young men taken to serve Nebuchadnezzar, was Daniel. Daniel refused to eat the king's food and worship the king's idols, and God blessed him. Amen? In Daniel chapter 1, in Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. Why? Because Daniel gained the respect of the king and his officials for his wisdom, his discernment, and his resolute character. Which, who gave him all that? God did. Amen. God was preparing Daniel for a crossroads in his life. Daniel chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. Now listen very carefully, because one day, God orchestrated an intersection that would catapult Daniel to second in command over the whole kingdom. In the second year of his reign, God gave King Nebuchadnezzar a nightmare that kept him awake at night. After the magicians and sorcerers couldn't interpret his dream, the king became so enraged that he planned to kill all of the wise men in Babylon. Now, the reason why I'm abbreviating this a little bit is we've already covered this material in a previous message, but we're coming back to it because it bears repeating. In Daniel chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, I'll just read the story, the account. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. 
They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you are trying to gain time because you see that the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream. Does a man sound determined? <laughs> I think he wants him to tell him the dream. Amen? Because he said it over and over. And I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. He knows that if the powers that be give them the dream, then he can trust the interpretation. If they fail to give him the dream, then he cannot trust the interpretation. Matter of fact, I think the plan was genius. It was genius. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. Now, we know the story. Daniel stood up, trusted God, and volunteered to interpret the king's dream, right? <clears throat> it's difficult to notice when soldiers are leaving the palace and running down these wise men and chopping their heads off, right? It raises questions like, what gives here? <laughs> Literally, Daniel said, well, what's going on? What's happening? The captain of the guards, what's going on? He said, well... There was this dream that the king had, and he wants it to be known, the dream known, and the interpretation. And Daniel, Daniel dealt with him. He said, go to the king, tell the king, that give me a chance, you know. And so he, he, he bought a little time, and he went and talked to God. You see what I'm saying? All right. Daniel 2, 14 through 18. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch and the captain of the king's guard who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretations to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. Notice this. He didn't go blab it to everybody. He went to his prayer warrior buddies, right? Talked to them. And told them to seek mercy from God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Here's what I wrote. Daniel recognized the opportunity that God had given to him to intersect the king's life and save thousands of lives. I, I call it an intersection for lack of a better term, but try to follow with me. So Daniel interpreted Nebuchadnezzar's dream, gave God the glory, saved all the wise men, and was made prime minister in Babylon, all because of the intersections God had set out in Daniel's life. How do I know? Daniel chapter 2, verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, listen to this. If you've, I've been a... a a studier of uh, a student of history all of my life I have enjoyed you know reading it I'm telling you there were things about the Babylonian Empire that you would find in unfathomable you you can't comprehend it their armies were so large they were like ants you know um, and and God used the Babylonian Empire to punish much of the world they were a tool in God's tool bag do you understand of judgment on the world right <clears throat> 
And here was this, this uh, king of Babylon, and he is at a point where he says, the king answered and said to Daniel, truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. When the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon, Daniel made a request of the king and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained in the king's court. God ordained intersection so that Daniel's life would come into contact with King Nebuchadnezzar. God kept intersecting the king's life with his truth and sovereignty until finally Nebuchadnezzar repented and humbled himself before the Lord. That wasn't the last time God was going to deal with Nebuchadnezzar. We know that. Daniel chapter 4, verse 34 through 37. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? It's like I've always said, if God could make a mistake, who could grade his paper, right? Nobody, right? All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Why? Because God was doing it now. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. So Daniel played this major role in a God-ordained intersection that led to the conversion of a pagan king who ruled over them. As Daniel simply walked in obedience to the Lord, he directed Daniel's path and used him to direct the course of the entire empire. Daniel fulfilled his destiny as his life followed the twists and turns of his will. Now watch this with me. We're going to go directly. That, that's, that's a dynamic story, but we're going to go directly to some takeaways here that we're going to go home with today. Don't get too excited. It isn't the total wrap of the sermon. We're not like about to say amen and go home. But watch this with me. First takeaway, because we looked at Daniel's life. Pay attention to this. Number one, God ordains intersections that lead you to your destiny. Intersections are the points of connection that God orchestrates to lead you to your destiny. Are you paying attention? Intersections often come as you're doing the ordinary, routine tasks of everyday life. And if you're not paying attention, you'll miss it. We're building up some. Point two. Through intersections, God can change your heart. Watch this. Through the normal intersections of life, God changes our hearts and gives us a burning passion to walk in a certain direction. Now, think with me for a minute today. How many of you really, really relate to Daniel. I mean, look, look, I relate to him, but I don't relate to him. I cannot answer the question today that if you threw me in a lion's den, could I lay down and take a napper? 
okay? I, I'm, not, I'm just being honest with you, right? I don't know that I could go into the lines, and you've got to think about the things that God did, those intersections that God brought Daniel into his life and took him where he took him. Of course, they were major intersections in Daniel's life because God had a major job for him to do. But how many of you know that the thing God has for you to do is as important for your life, right? But I have a difficult time relating with Daniel to the point of being able to answer the question today, could I take a nap on a lion using him as a pillow? You know, I'm just being honest with you. But let me tell you what I can relate to. And it's another intersection in another person's life. Watch this with me. I wrote this. Through the normal intersections of life, God changes our hearts and gives us a burning passion to walk in a certain direction. Listen to me carefully. Saul's trip to recover his father's donkey. Stop right there. I can relate to that. I may not be able to relate to lying down in a den full of lions and taking a nap, but I can relate to a son giving instructions by his father, go find my donkeys. Right? Now, we're going to jump forward here a little bit. What was God doing? You all know what God did with Saul. He raised him up to be king of Israel when he was humble, when he was a humble man. If he had just remained humble before God and he had just remained obedient to God... He could and would have remained the king in Israel. Do you understand what I'm saying? But right now I'm focusing on the intersection that God used in his life to take him to a more important job. Well, the fact that he blew it is not the point of my sermon today. Daniel was serving God when his intersection came. And when he obeyed God, he was promoted to being the second highest person in authority over all of the Babylonian Empire, which I'm telling you, at that day and age, that was a powerful place to be. It was in a nation that was larger and greater than that of the nation of Israel. Israel had been beaten by this empire. And one of its captives, within a few years, would rise to being second only to the king of that mighty empire because of the intersections that God had brought into his life. That little charcoal fire that Peter warmed his hands over, that became a very important intersection in his life when Jesus dealt with the problem. It, you know, you remember that story. We, we, just read it. we just read it. We just went through it a week ago. Jesus frustrated Peter by asking him three different ways. Now listen to me. I, I have no doubt in my heart and mind that Peter came a long way from the time he had warmed his hands over that charcoal fire until the time that he jumped off that boat and swam to Jesus. But he still needed to be confronted by Jesus. How many of you know that when Jesus asked him the first time, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes. And the second time he said, you know I do, right? And then the third time he was frustrated that Jesus would keep asking him those three different ways, do you love me? Because he knew Peter, he knew Peter needed to say the answers out loud. He was at an important intersection, there could be no doubt, right? Because it says, Peter, when you turn, help your brothers. Jesus was just getting him ready at that intersection for the next part of destiny in his life. Amen? 
What do we have here? Saul's trip to recover his father's donkeys led him to Samuel, who anointed him Saul, anointed Saul as the first king in Israel. That's come from what? 1 Samuel chapter 9. Saul, and pay attention to this, Saul almost missed the point. Saul got tired of hunting for the donkeys and wanted to go home, right? I can relate to that. <laughs> Just being honest with you, Saul wanted to turn back when he couldn't find the donkeys. It was Saul's servant who suggested they find Samuel, the man of God, to help them find the donkeys. Meanwhile, God spoke to Samuel and told him to look for Saul. The man from the tribe of Benjamin was on a journey to find his father's donkeys. God told Samuel to anoint Saul as Israel's first king. And all Saul had on his mind was donkeys and going home. That's it. But God had a bigger, bigger plan for him. Let me say this to you. Maybe we don't need a king today. Can you say amen? Don't need a king today. But I'm telling you that what God has for you is just as important. There are intersections in all of our lives. You know, I think it's sad to think that, you know, we may stand before God in heaven having missed many opportunities because we weren't paying attention. That's what, I'm, that's what I'm here to warn you about today. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to help us pay attention. Help us see. Help us understand. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I believe I'm at an intersection. I believe I'm at an intersection. God knows where he's taking us. And he walks us every step of the way. Amen? Third point. When you encounter intersections, God desires your faithfulness. Moses faithfully herded sheep for 40 years until he noticed a burning bush that didn't burn up. You get, you're getting the trend here? Moses is at an intersection. What if he ignored the burning bush? God would have had to raise somebody else up. There would have been an intersection in somebody else's life because God had promised to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt. Someone was going to do it. Amen? When Moses got close, he heard God's voice calling to redeem the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, according to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. When God intersected Moses' life, Moses discovered his destiny to save God's people. You don't never, you never know until you stop and pause at the intersection in your life. Ask yourself, could this be an intersection? Father, in the name of Jesus, is this an intersection? And how can I obey you? How? What must I do to be in obedience to you? Do you know God hears prayers like that? Amen. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, Melinda, I'm telling you, sister, everybody we prayed for today, we obeyed God. We had an intersection up here at the altar today. We obeyed God. We can start looking, Vicky. We can start looking for God to answer our prayer because we obeyed him. It's not about, oh, Pastor Dennis is so great. No, it's about Jesus is so great. It's not about you or you or you or all the rest of us. It's about Jesus. He's great. Amen? God knows where he's taking us, and he walks with us every step of the way. All he asks is for our faithfulness. Look at Isaiah 46, 8 through 11. Again, 
Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. You know, as we travel every day, maybe to work each day, you drive through many intersections. When you get to an intersection and the light turns green, we have the option we can go straight, we can turn right, we can turn left. How do you decide which direction to go? It all depends on your destination. Amen? Whether I go right or whether I go left or whether I straight ahead, where, where am I going? Where do I want to go? Very rarely do we hop in a car and head out if we don't know where we're going. That's pretty rare, right? At least when we get in the car, we know where we're going. Amen? Very rarely do we hop in a car and head out if we don't know where we're going. But often, Christians set out on their daily journeys without knowing where they're going because they don't know their destiny. I really don't have any idea what God has for me. When about time we find out? Amen? You know what? I, that's something I can't do for you. There may be some things I can do for you as your pastor, but I can't do that for you. You know, you know, warming a chair in the sanctuary just doesn't cut it. That doesn't cut it, right? I mean, how many of you want to be on the varsity team? Or, you know, you don't want to be on the B or C team the rest of your life. Amen? All right. But as we faithfully complete the daily assignments God has given to us, let's just walk in obedience. Let's do the small things so we can handle the big things. Amen? And as we keep our hearts and minds focused on Him, He will lead us to and through the intersections that will take us to our destiny. You know what? Here's a note I wrote. Be faithful chasing donkeys. Be faithful chasing donkeys. If that's all the direction you got right now, baby chase. You know what I'm saying? Be faithful chasing donkeys. Before he became king, Saul's father sent him on a mission to find donkeys. He's on a mission. Find the donkeys. And when he couldn't find the donkeys, what do you want to do? Give up and go where? Go home, right? When they couldn't find the donkeys, Saul wanted to turn around and go home, but his servant wanted to seek the guidance of the man of God, the prophet of God who was nearby. Wait a minute. Can't find the donkeys, but Samuel's over here. The prophet's nearby. Saul's servant understood more about what God was doing. Here's what Saul's servant understood that God is the God of the ordinary. Saul's servant understood that God is the God of the ordinary. During this time, God told the man of God, Samuel, that Saul, the future king of Israel, would be coming this way. God orchestrated this intersection while Saul was just chasing his father's donkeys. Many of us stumble across most of God's intersections while we're chasing donkeys, not laying down with lions. Do you hear that? Most of us, most of us, that's the way it is for us. Most of us stumble across uh, most of God's intersections while we're chasing donkeys, while we're faithfully going about the ordinary tasks of everyday life. God is a God of the ordinary, not merely or only the extraordinary. 
God's the God of the ordinary also. Amen. Preach it, brother. Yes. Most of God's intersections will come through your ordinary donkey chasing. If you would just be faithful chasing donkeys, God knows how to hook you up and connect you at the right place at the right time with the right person. Why do I know this? Where do I get my evidence from? I get it from the Word of God. I dare you to look up that story in the Bible when you get home today and pay attention to the first few words out of Samuel's mouth to Saul. Does anybody remember? He said, stop worrying about the donkeys. <laughs> That's what the man of God told Saul. Your donkeys are found. God knew where the donkeys were. Amen? Right? His mission was to look for them until the man of God told him, stop looking for them. They're found. We know where your donkeys are. I don't want to hear anything more about the donkeys. I get the idea that that's what Samuel's saying to Saul. Stop already. Stop. You did what you were told to do. You sought out the donkeys. They're safe. We, the man of God, had his donkeys in hand. All right? Now, I'm going to tell you, this isn't what I call a barn-burning sermon. It's just a good, strong, solid reminder that we should be paying attention. We need to be paying attention. Because I don't care. I don't care about the details right now. I'm trying to get this through to you. And sometimes I can be a little thick-headed. You know what I'm saying? But God has burned this through to me, right? That doesn't matter. I, I want to tell you. I, in closing, I'll tell you this. It's early. We're early. We're early. We're going to get out of here early. If, you know, unless God wants us here longer. We'll obey God. Amen? Listen carefully. I dawned on me this morning. I usually like to be everywhere I'm going early. I want to be early. I like being early. I like to get set up. I don't like to be caught by surprise. And all of a sudden, I looked at my watch this morning. I'd been sipping coffee and relaxing around the house, you know, move a few things around, and it dawned on me. Oh, I've got this list of things I've got to get done. Oh, the list. The list is important. The list must Everything on the list must get done, you know. And so I laid the list down, and I just started attacking, right? Boom, boom, boom. Get everything, you know. Now, I'm going to jump forward a little bit. I'm driving into town. And I realize I'm going to go by the church office. Barbara, I'm going to get you what I, I was going to get you, what was in my office, right? And so I, I, I pull up to the intersection of Pine and DeBar. I'm sitting at the red light, and I turn my head and I look in my truck. There's no music. I'm not like Julie. I can't play just anything anyway. You know that. And I can, I can barely do it with the music in front of me, but there was none. And I knew where it was. It was on the dining room table in Eagle River, Alaska. <laughs> now listen to me. It gets much worse. I, I'm at the office building, no problem. All I've got to do is go on in the office building, grab thumb drive for, for you, and I'll just burn off copies real quick. I'll pull up my computer, and I, and I realize that this wallet, or it's in my coat pocket, the little wallet that I carry in this back right pocket has the key card to get in that building. So guess where I'm not going? I'm not going in the building, right? I don't have the music. I don't have the key card. I'm not going to get the thumb drive. You know what I'm saying? 
Now, I'm going to tell you, you, you need to hang out with me like Ruthie does, and you get to see sides of me you never knew existed, <laughs> right? I mean, I can get wrapped around the axle and be thumping, boom, 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 and responding accordingly, right? And am I the only one? All right, so I call my wife. I, I want to tell my wife, look, I'm coming. Grab my little wallet and get my music and meet me at the door. And I let it ring six times, and her voice comes on. I hate it when someone says, I just got to be honest with you, you've reached so-and-so, and I'm going, no, I haven't. <laughs> if I had reached you, I'd be talking to you, right? My wife and my daughter, I got that kind of answering thing, right? And so I, all I can do is I don't have thumb drive. I don't have key, you know, the key card to get in the building. I don't have the music. So it stands to reason that I'm going back to Eagle River right? So, I'm going back to Eagle River. I can't text while I'm driving. I can't speed. You, you understand what I'm saying? So, I'm, you know, I'm praying, and I'm driving, and, you know, God's telling me, quit worrying about the donkeys. You understand what I'm saying? Stop, stop worrying about the donkeys, right? So, I get a text. Julia's running a little bit late. I'm glad when I finally stopped, I send her a text. I'm running behind, too, right? So, I, I get home. I grab the music, and Ruthie and I, you know, stopped and have a cup of coffee. No, <laughs> no. I thought, I got to go. <laughs> she goes, I'm praying for you. <laughs> you know? So I leave out and jump in the car, and I'm coming back, right? But the long of the short of is this. Really, we weren't late. No. I got the music. I called Nathan. He brought a thumb drive for Barbara. I, Everything God done, God knew where every single solitary donkey was, right? And told me, quit worrying about the donkeys, right? Quit worrying about the donkeys. And if you listen to me, you won't have to worry about the lions either. You won't have to worry about the lions either. You know, and, and I'm telling you, I, I, I am very excited to humbly say to you today, I didn't blow up like I normally do. I did not blow up like I normally do. I mean, I blow up. I get all excited. Ruthie can tell you that, you know, I get excited. I, I got to have help. You know, we got to do this. No, no, no. Either God was going to help me get it all together and get here on time, or he wasn't. And, and I'm telling you, this isn't the first time that God has burned a sermon on me, <laughs> you know, into me while I was en route to church. Don't worry about the donkeys. Don't worry about the lions either. Don't worry about the Egyptians. Amen? Don't worry about them, you know? Moses gave every kind of excuse that you can give to God. I, I can't talk well. I can't do this thing. You know, I mean, I can't, you can't use me, you know. And, you know, God was very patient with Moses. I believe that he, if he had obeyed God, he wouldn't have needed Aaron. But God's not opposed to helping you along the way. Amen? Amen. Don't worry about the donkeys. Don't worry about the lions. Don't worry about the Egyptians. I just happen to be able to relate better to the donkeys than I do the lions in the Egyptian army. But God's got me one closer, one step closer to believing him for defeating enemy armies and closing the mouths of lions.
Think about this with me for just 30 seconds. What it would be like to walk into a den of lions, and I have no idea whether this happened or not, though I saw a painting once that I believe God inspired. That's just me. Don't eat it. If it ain't meat for you, don't eat it. But it showed Daniel among the lions laying down on a lion and sleeping with a lion as his pillow. You know what kind of faith that takes, but God's telling me, God's telling me, trust me for the lions. Trust me for the lions. Everything in your life may not be going the way you want it to go right this minute. There may be many things that you just don't understand. Guess what? You may never understand until you stand before Christ and then it won't matter. It just won't matter. Don't get buried. Don't get bogged down. God knows where the Egyptian army is. He knows where the lions are. He knows where the donkeys are, right? He knows all the details. So when you hear my voice, and I'm trying to be just as calm and soothing as I can be, when you hear me say, it's going to be okay. But, but Pastor, I don't understand. It's going to be okay. You know? You know why you don't understand? Because you're not God. You're not God. I'm not God. But I serve him. He's a family member. Not because of me, but because of his great love. Amen? That's why we can't sing enough, be unto your name. Amen? Be unto your name. Holy, holy. No greater songs in the world, amen, than the songs that just worship him for being God. Amen? Don't worry about the confusion of this world right now. It's going to be okay. Do you ever feel, you know, I was tempted this morning. I'm tempted. You say, well, pastor, that's silly. You were just getting ready for church. Well, you know, church weighs pretty heavy on my heart sometimes. I, I, I don't want you showing up here and not being fed. Amen? But God's told me, quit worrying about that. Don't worry, I got this. Don't speed, don't text, don't worry. You're going to be fine. You'll be on time, you know. You know, one of the things I did, I, I plugged in two printers this morning. Two printers needed to print music off. The first one didn't work. Don't worry, I got a backup, right? Plugged that one in, and it didn't work either. <laughs> you know, but I finally did get to a printer, and I finally did print that music, and then I left it. But it's okay. Amen. I love you so much. And I don't ever want you, you know, I'm, I'm like, a, a, I've got a grandfather's heart, you know, and I've got a pastor's heart, and they're a lot alike, right? I don't like to see anybody hurt. I don't like to see anybody bogged down. I don't like to see anybody buried. But I will tell you, no, as much as I love you, don't ever waste your time trying to convince me it's okay for you to stay where you're at, because it's not. It's this you telling Jesus, no, nope, you're not powerful enough. You're not good enough. You're not great enough. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. No, Jesus is all those things. Amen? You know? Never thumb your nose at Jesus. Never. Amen? 
You know what? That should make you happy today. I just got, I got here, and what was I like when you got, I was giddy again by the time you got to the room. I get giddy, I can't help it. I make no excuses for it, and I don't apologize for it. Amen? Isn't it time we all just get giddy about Jesus? Amen? Just get happy, get giddy about Jesus, all right? Well, looky, looky, I've got anointing oil. I'm mowing through it like water. I, I can't, you know, I've got a big bottle at the house I can refill little bottles. Anybody else like me? Yeah. So what do we got to do? We just got to pray. We got to pray. Well, so brother, you, you pray. You're mundane. You don't pray like, you know, no, no, no. You pray in faith in the name of Jesus. Amen. And you let the Spirit of God do what the Spirit of God is going to do. Right? And look, look, I, I'm, I know for a fact that there are plenty of times when it looks like you've got a list of reasons why you can question things. Why don't you just stop? And don't yield to that temptation. Just let God manage the intersection. It's not over for you. Amen? And guess what? The intersection you're at today only leads to another intersection. Okay? And that one leads to another intersection. You know, until we start getting this thing right. Right? It'll be intersection after intersection after intersection. But that's okay. All right? Stand with me this morning.